We're working through our King of My Heart series. This is January. It's our prayer and fasting month. January, we always devote to to pray and to fast together. But this month, we're looking through the book of Psalms, which is near the middle of your Bible there. And and Psalms is a a, a great, it's one of the most practical um, books of the Bible because it's written by people about the things that people are going through who are trying to worship God. And so for us, as we try to worship God, it's such a a perfect way to connect, to understand how that works. Um, And and so I want to invite you, I don't want to miss this opportunity, January is our prayer and fasting month. I know most of you were probably here last week, you probably heard us talk about um, the devotional guides and praying and fasting, but I want to invite you, if if you've missed and and you're just catching up to this, you're you're here for the first time this year today, I want to invite you to join with us. Because I believe the reason we start the year with prayer and fasting is because we believe that the best way for us to be the holy people of God, the best way for us to live the way we were created to be, is to be in tune with who God is and what God's doing in the world around us. And so I want to invite you to pray every day. I want to invite you to fast if that's something you're comfortable with. Or even if, if, even if you're uncomfortable with, that's a, a good way to get out of your comfort zone and experience God. And, and most of you probably got the journals. We made um, journal guides. If you didn't, I just want to invite you to come and find one of the pastors. And we will get you a copy of the journal. Because every day we have devotions for you. But this is all about us growing closer to God. And so we're looking at the book of Psalms, and the book of Psalms is, it, 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 it's a big gathering of different materials. It's, it's not like some of the books that we see in, in the Old Testament and New Testament that are written by one person. It's, it's not something that was written from beginning to end with a purpose. Instead, the book of Psalms is a collection of different writings and songs and, and poems that were put together for the purpose of leading God's people to worship, pray, and live lives of righteousness. And so that's what the Psalms are. Just like we put together a prayer guide for the month of January and had it in these little booklets, that's what the book of Psalms is, that people came together and said, we want to help people follow God. And so that's what we have. We have this collection of of different writings, songs from different authors, And together, they lead us, they point us to God. Um, The Bible Project, if you're not familiar with it, the Bible Project is a group of people who have done videos and teaching to try to just help people get better acquainted with the Bible. But the Bible Project puts it this way. Psalms is the prayer book of God's people as they strive to be faithful to the Torah. Or another word for that would be God's word. And as they wait for the coming kingdom. That's a little bit paraphrased, but, but that's how the Bible project def- talks about the book of Psalms. It's, it's to help us be faithful to God and look forward to the coming of God's kingdom. And so last week we looked at chapter 1, or the first psalm. We looked at Psalm 1, which talks about the fact that it all starts with God's word. If you'll remember last week, we, we talked about blessing and we, we talked about destruction and the choice that we have every day to follow God's word and experience God's blessing or to go our own way and do our own thing and experience or be led to destruction. 
And so last week, we just started with this idea. This is all I want you to, to, to grab from last week to get into this week is this. It's all about knowing God's Word. God's Word is the best tool we have to grow closer and be like Christ. So earlier, you, you heard Adam read a scripture. That was Psalm 19, 1 through 6. And today we're going to look at Psalm 19, 7 through the end. Um, but, but 1 through 6 really was this, um, this, it worked perfect with the song, How Great Thou Art. Because that's basically what, um, what Psalm 19, 1 through 6 is. It's saying, God, you're so amazing. We see you in the heavens. It's this, it's this grand idea of praising God and seeing God's glory at work in the world around us. Um, Today, I want to pick it up in in verse 7. So let's read together, or I'll read, and you follow along on the screen. Um, Psalm 19, verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect. This will sound kind of familiar to last week, by the way. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward, But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. And hear this last line. May the words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So Psalm 19 is this psalm. It's one of David's psalms. Um, King David, who wrote many of the psalms, I said it's a collection of, of different writings from different authors, but, but King David wrote a good portion of them, and this is one of those. And, and the first six lines kind of have this idea of, God, you're so amazing, you're so great, I see you all over the heavens and the earth, you're incredible. And then verse 7 tar- changes a little bit and starts talking about not God's revealing in nature and and this great glory, but God's revealing through God's word. And so this kind of builds on last week. We talked about it's all about God's word and that if we want to experience the blessing of God and not be led to destruction, we have to choose God's word. But this week, I want to take that a little bit further and I want us to look at what God does as we meditate on his word. As we study, as we focus, as we encounter God's word, what happens in us? Because I'll just state it right here. It's not just about receiving blessing. It's not just about avoiding destruction. We are God's people, and we are called to be holy. So that's what we're talking about today. That's what this scripture talks about And so it starts with God revealed in nature, and then it moves to God being revealed through God's word. But there is this significant change between the first six verses and then the the rest of it, verse 7 on that we read. There's a significant change that you wouldn't catch if you were just reading through your Bible. You wouldn't catch this, but in in verses 1 through 6, the word that's used for God is this, the word El. 
It's the most generic word we can use for God. It just means God, mighty one. So, so verses 1 through 6, we see David is saying, God, you're so amazing, you're so great, and using this really generic term. But in verse 7, there is this change, and all of a sudden, David goes from using the generic word for God, El, to using a very specific word for God, which is Jehovah. Now, that might not seem like a big deal to you, but I believe this is a huge deal to us. Uh, because this goes from impersonal to a personal real so the first six verses I was thinking about this like we gather at the table every night and well that's that's a stretch that's not true we don't gather every night at the table we but we gather as much as we can at the table with the family and the way it plays out maybe this happens at your house is we gather together we get the food on the table the kids are already eating we tell them to stop eating until we've prayed we you know we maybe we slap their hands yesterday I I literally had to hold Charlie's hand to keep him from eating, because he was just diving right in. And I said, oh, let me just hold your hand until we're ready. And so we gather together and we say, who wants to pray? And usually, Charlie is the one that will say, well, I'll pray. And he'll pray the prayer, God is great, God is good, and we thank him for our food. By his hands we all are fed, thank you, Lord, for daily bread. So there we go, that's that prayer. And listen, I'm not discounting that prayer. It's a prayer of thanksgiving to God, but it's this general prayer. It's, it's not a super personal prayer. It's not really focusing on, on anything specific or getting deep, but it's just kind of a prayer that we do. And so, so the first six verses, this God is great, and we come here every week, and we worship God, and we sing songs, and we say, God is great. God is all over the place. God is so powerful. And it, but then he goes from this, David goes from this generic, like, God is great, to talking about God's word, and he changes the word to Jehovah, because Jehovah, and this, he's not talking about a different God than he was in the first six verses, but he's making this really personal for us. See, Jehovah is a very specific thing to people. Jehovah is the one true God, the God of the Israelites, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of God's people. And so when he changes this wording, I believe that what's happening here is he's making it personal to us. And so, God, you're so great, you're revealed in nature. That's worship, that's good. But then he changes and he says, the law of Jehovah, Jehovah, the covenant God, the God of the Israelites, the God of God's people. He starts talking about that aspect of God. And so this is significant because, because I think this really calls us, these next few verses call us to the, to the importance of us understanding that we don't just come here and say, oh, God is good, oh, God is good, but we understand that we serve Jehovah God, the one true God, the God of the Israelites, the God that's been at work in his people since the beginning of time. This is personal to us. See, Jehovah is not just one of many gods. Jehovah is not just some, something claiming to be God. Jehovah is the God that came 
to Abraham and said, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Jehovah is the God that led the Israelites out of Egypt. Jehovah is the God that was with King David. Jehovah is the God that's at work in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. Jehovah is our God. And so I want us to see something really important here at the beginning. Last week was all about the blessing and destruction, but I want you to understand this week that we are called by the holy God, Jehovah, to be a holy people like Jehovah. We are called by the holy God, Jehovah, to be a holy people. So we come together, and I think this is fitting, I think this, this psalm is fitting that we come together and we praise God, and it maybe is sometimes this generic, like, and it's not, I'm not discounting it, it's good, we praise God, oh God, you're so good, oh God, you're at work, and sometimes that can be kind of informal or, or impersonal, but I want us to understand that as we come together, we are called by Jehovah the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Israelites, the God that's been at work through time to be God's holy people. And so our prayer and worship start with God's word, but our prayer and worship are meant to be transformative. It's meant to do something in us. It's meant to transform us into God's image. And so this is important. We cannot settle for less than holiness. We can't worship a holy God, Jehovah, the God of everything, the God that is right and pure and holy, and ourselves settle for something less than holiness. See, we are created to be the holy people of God. And so, you know, this is a word, maybe you don't hear it as much as we used to in the church, but, but we are called and created for holiness. We serve a holy, great God that's pure, and God is transforming us through our prayer, through our worship, through our fasting, through our, through our gathering, through everything we do to be holy and pure because we're God's holy people. And so let's pick it up in verse 7. What does that look like? It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. It says, the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. And the decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. Listen to the words that describe God's word or who God is. Perfect. Trustworthy. Right, radiant, pure, firm. Listen to that. Listen, our culture is a culture that questions things. Our culture, at least in these days, is a culture that teaches you that you've got to push back at authority, that, that authority is corrupt, so we've got to push back. You know, we can't trust the higher-ups, the people in power. We can't trust them because they're probably messed up. And, and so in our culture, you see this all the time. You see it on the news. You see it on social media. You see it everywhere. Our culture is a culture of pushing back against authority. That's not what we see from King David here. King David isn't saying, God, you're pretty great, 
but I don't know about this whole, you know, I don't know about all these laws you've got for me. I don't know about following everything. I don't know, God. David is saying that your law is perfect. God, you are perfect. God, you are pure. God, you are right. God, you are holy. Because for the follower of Christ, it isn't about pushing back. It isn't about, you know, waiting and seeing. It's about trusting God. Why? Because God is good and God is perfect and God is right and God is trustworthy and God is pure. There's no reason for us to push back because God is love. And so David says, the law of the Lord is perfect. It's trustworthy. It's right. It's radiant. Listen, I just want to stop here and say that following Christ Being a Christian is not a halfway thing. Following Christ is not, it's not about choosing the parts you like and pushing back on the parts you don't because God is perfect and God's word is perfect. And so if we're going to be the holy people of God, man, we should delight. Last week we talked about delight and the law of the Lord because God's word is perfect and good, and right, and pure. I I don't know if you get that when you read it, but if you will focus in, if you will delight in the Word of God, if you will study and meditate, you will become more holy and right. God will be transforming you through that So then listen to what God's word does in us. It says God's law is perfect, trustworthy, right, radiant, pure, and firm. But listen to the other side of it. It refreshes the soul. It gives wisdom. It gives joy. It helps us see. It gives us endurance. And it produces righteousness. See, we see that God's word is perfect. And we see that God's word refreshes our soul. We see that God's word is trustworthy. And we see that God's word makes us wise. We see that God's word is right. And it brings joy to our soul. The commands of the Lord are radiant. They give light to the eyes. Are you getting the picture? As we focus in on God's perfect holy word, we are being transformed to be a holy people. And so today, I know some of you may have thought you were just coming to sing and worship and shake hands, but today, the almighty, holy God that's perfect and right and all-powerful wants to transform you and to make you holy. And so we see in this psalm the glory of God and, and, and creation. We see in this psalm the, the glory of God, Jehovah's perfect word. And then in verse 10, it says, these words, God's word is more precious than gold. Now, that's hard to believe for some of us in the society that we live in. But God's word is more important to you than any house, than any car, than any job, than any amount of money. It's really easy to get sucked into thinking that if I just had this, then I would be okay. I want you to understand that God's word is more, more valuable than any of those other things. Sometimes I love cars. I think I've talked about this before. When I was in high school, my favorite car um, was the Dodge Viper. I love the Dodge Viper. And so I always wanted a Dodge Viper. 
And, and then I graduate and I become an adult and I'm working and I'm making money and I, I start to think like, what car do I want to drive? And I'm a pastor, so I'm not driving around a Dodge Viper, okay? But occasionally on Facebook, these ads will pop up and there'll be a nice Dodge Viper. Jay, Jay knows this because I've talked about it with, there'll be a nice Dodge Viper. And it's only like, you know, $25,000. I mean, that's not any more than, you know, most of our cars cost, right? And so, wait a minute. Maybe I, maybe I could drive a Dodge Viper, right? The problem is, like, that's not good enough because then I start thinking about that and then all of a sudden a little picture of a Ferrari pops up and I think, wait a minute, wait a minute, how much is a used Ferrari? And I start, I'm not, I'm not lying to you. I have looked up the prices. I've looked for cheap Ferraris because I love Ferraris. And it's easy in your mind to, to be living in the house you're living in and then think, oh, if I just had this one or if I just had this one or be in the job you're in and think, if I just had this or I just had this, it's easy to think that those are the most valuable things. But God's word is the most valuable thing that you have because we are called to be the holy people of a holy God, and no viper or Ferrari or house or job is going to make you holy, but God's word can. I was thinking about there's a movie that came out a while ago. How many of you are basketball fans? Raise your hand. How many of you ever watched Pete Maravich play basketball? Okay, I'm too young for that. But there's a movie about Pete Maravich, and, and it was this cool movie where he's a kid, and you know, he, he wants to be a great basketball player, and, and he, he wants to be great, and all of a sudden, he figures out that what he needs to do to become great is he needs to have that basketball, and he needs to practice with it all the time. And so you see in this movie, I think it was called, was it called Pistol? Someone help me out. And you see in this movie that he starts carrying this basketball around everywhere. He starts, he's riding his bike, dribbling the basketball. He's in the gym doing different drills, doing all this stuff. And, and Pistol Pete Maravich, who probably didn't have the most God-given talent or ability, had that ball and it became the most valuable thing. And, and through working with that ball, it transformed him into being one of the best basketball players to ever play the game. That's pretty incredible, right? That's what God's word is. We have God's word, which is the tool that God has revealed to us so that we can be a holy people. And sometimes we treat it like it's a book and we put it on the, the lampstand. And sometimes we treat it like it's just another thing that we're reading. But this is God's holy word, which refreshes our soul and makes us wise and gives joy to the heart and gives light to the eyes and helps us with endurance and makes us righteous. God's word is the most valuable possession that you could have. I, that sometimes the teens count how many times I cry, and lately I haven't been crying a lot, so I, I'm going to talk about something that's going to make me cry. But uh, months ago I went over to my parents house and I walked in dad wasn't there and I sat down I just thought I'm gonna sit down for a minute 
I sat down in the family room on their leather chair. And I looked over and I saw mom and dad's Bible. So I picked it up and I started reading it. And I started seeing my mom and dad's notes. There would be these scriptures just like Psalm 19 and then in the side there would be these notes about what God's doing. Here's the thing. I have the best parents in the world. I have had the best parents in the world. It's not because they drove nice cars and it's not because they had the best houses and it's not because they made lots of money. But it's because they knew God's word. And I'll tell you, you could take everything else in that house. I want that Bible. I want my Bible to look like that. I want someday for my kids to be able to look at my Bible and see that God was transforming me into something, that God was making me holy. God's word is the most valuable thing that we have because it's how we become who God created us to be, which is God's holy people. See, God is perfect and right and righteous and pure, and guess what? That's what we're called to be. We're not called to be just lousy people that follow the pure God. We're called to be people that are being transformed to be holy people. And I'm so thankful to say my parents were holy people. I'm so thankful that God's word was the number one thing in their life and that they taught me who God was and lived it. And so don't, don't think that that Bible is just a book on the side of the bed or just another thing that you read. God's word transforms us to be the holy people of God. Verse 11 says, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is a great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. So the first seven through nine or ten there, seven through nine talks about the good effects of God's word. It talks about, you know, it's righteous. It gives refreshing to the soul. It gives joy to the soul. It helps us see. It helps us be more pure. And then this part talks about the other side. It's that God's word keeps us from the bad stuff. It says, by your word, your servant is warned. This is huge. I don't want us to skip this part because this is so important. I think sometimes we just talk about all the positive stuffs, but, but sometimes we need to be warned of coming disaster. Sometimes there are things in our life that shouldn't be there, and God's word points it out before we head too far down the path to disaster. And so God's word warns us, but who can discern their own errors Forgive my hidden faults. The truth is, I've been reading a book lately, and it talks about how we as humans are terrible, terrible judges of other humans and, and what they do. We, so this is, this is a business book. It talks, about, it talks about working with employees, and it says that we are not reliable raiders of other people. So I can look at you and I could think, well, maybe you're good at this, maybe you're good at this, but I am not a reliable judge 
of who you are and what you do. And to take that a step further, I am not very good at seeing my own faults and seeing the things in my life that could lead me towards danger. Sometimes it's just little things like habits. Like maybe I'm just watching way too much TV. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm getting into, you know, a game or something like that. Maybe something is just kind of taking a hold in my life that's going to take more and more of a hold in my life. Maybe it's that I'm getting into to my own greatness. Maybe it's, hey, I, I want to be great, and, and it starts small, and I don't see it, but I start thinking, hey, if I just preach a little bit better, then I'll be better. And then, oh, if I just get a little bit better, and I start looking at these other preachers, and I think, oh, I, I should just be this great preacher, and then I'll, I'll have it. Or, or we start doubting something or getting negative attitudes, and it's really easy to not see it in ourselves but we, over time, can be judgmental or bitter or negative towards something, and it can ruin us. And so we can't see our own errors. We can't see our hidden faults. So David says, expose this. Let your word, which is right and pure, show me the areas that I'm wrong, that I'm messing up. And then he says, keep your servant from willful sins. May they not rule over me. This is huge. May they not rule over me. Because we can't see our faults. We can't see it all. But the truth is, when we follow sin, when we get caught up in sin and behavior like that, it takes over our lives. And before long, we're so far from God that we don't even know what to do about it. It enslaves us. It rules over us. He says, then I will be blameless innocent of great transgression. Listen, God is great. God is amazing. God is at work all over the world. God is at work through God's word, which is perfect and pure and right, and it refreshes our soul, and it makes us good, and it makes us pure. But God's word points out the places in our lives where we're falling short. I don't know if there's any of you, I know when I listen to people speak, I sit there and I think about my own life. I don't know if there's any of you here that would say, man, there's just some stuff that I feel like I've been getting off track with. Maybe, maybe I've just been not giving the time that I need to to be a holy person of God. Maybe I've been devaluing God's word. Maybe I've been devaluing gathering with God's holy people. Maybe, I'm, maybe I've got some faults that are hidden, that I haven't seen. God's word helps us get past that. It points it out so that we can be God's holy people. God's word covers our blind spots and it shows us our potential dangers, faults, and shortcoming. And so, so sin can take over, it can rule us, but God's word helps us stay on track. And we are not a people who are just going to walk around being captivated by sin. That's not who we're called to be. You didn't come here this morning just to be a lousy person and just to be engulfed in sin, and then you're going to go home and do your thing. You, maybe, maybe you didn't know it, but God wants to change you. God wants to purify you. God wants to remove those things that pull you away from holiness. And God wants to make you right and pure. And so today... 
we'll, we'll end with verse 14, which says, May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be a blessing in your sight. Lord, my rock, my redeemer, Jehovah, the almighty, holy God of Israel, the God of God's people and God's church, the God of the Old Testament, the New Testament, today, today, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be a pleasing sacrifice to you, Lord. And so the band's going to come up, and we're going to close the song with a song. Um, it's called New Wine. It talks about God transforming us, God changing us, God making us new. And, and we don't do this a whole lot in the church, but, but we got to do it today. I believe God is at work, not just in the world, but I believe that God is at work in your life. And maybe there are some of you that just sense that God is calling you to a deeper holiness. Maybe there's some of you that would say, I've got some hidden faults. I've gotten a little off track. I've gotten caught up in myself. I've gotten caught up in doubt. I've got caught up in negativity. I, I'm missing it. Today I want to invite you not to miss this opportunity to offer yourself, to offer your life, to offer your heart as a sacrifice to the holy God. Not because God is a dictator that wants to manipulate you, because God is right and pure and perfect and God wants you to be holy. And so as we sing this last song, I just want to invite you. These altars are a place to come and to pour your heart out to God. And maybe there's some of you here today that would just say, I need to commit myself to be holy. I need to commit myself to praying and fasting. I need to commit myself to God's word because I want to be who God created me to be. And maybe there's some of you that would say, I just, I need to lay some stuff down, some stuff that's gotten heavy. I need to get some burdens, some failures off my heart. If that's you today, I just, I want to invite you, however you want to do that, the altars are here. If you want to come up, if you want to stay where you are, I want to invite you to open your heart and say, God, examine my heart. I want to be holy like you, and so make me holy. So as we sing the song, offer yourself. Father, love you. I thank you that you're good and that you're pure and that you're right. Father, I offer myself to you now. Let each one of us open our minds, open our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would work, that your holiness and your goodness would be at work in each and every one of our lives and that each and every one of us would not walk out of here without being able to say, Lord, I give you everything. I want to be yours in Jesus' name.